Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. And welcome back to our special podcast series on the property investing journey from start to finish. We are talking alternative investing today, specifically commercial property. And who better than commercial property guru, best-selling author, and commercial property genius, Steve Polisi. We talked to him about how to get involved in commercial property, all the standard risk-reward ratios, all the cliched questions about vacancy and the types of properties that he invests in. And he gives us some great advice for anyone that's considering commercial property or how it really sits beside residential as an investment class. It's an awesome interview with Steve, and I hope you really enjoy it. Here's Steve. Steve Polisi, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. Not as good as yourself, who's jet off to uh, a much less restricted part of the world in uh, in, in London. Um, you're living the dream yeah. there? Yeah, just uh, I've got the lifestyle, so just spending the next six months over here. Just didn't want to be in the Sydney COVID lockdown, so just travelling around a bit and working remotely, and it's actually working exactly the same as if I was in Sydney. Beautiful. And a bit more freedom over there, right? Like you can leave. It's, it, it, it is opened up as per usual. There are there are no lockdowns. You can basically do whatever you want. Occasionally you have to wear a mask in a store, but that is it. Mm, yes, a bit of a different story here. Um, now, the reason why we've got you on uh, particularly is because we're doing our property investing journey from start to finish. And we've sort of we reached this fork in the road where we're talking about alternative investing. Um, we talked about, you know, duplex uh, developments in, 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 in part of this, but your, your area of expertise and, of course, being a, a successful published author is on commercial property. So I wanted to get you on to talk about commercial as an alternative to resi. Do you see it as an equal alternative or is it something that you should only sort of graduate into after a bit of resi? No, it's going to come down to personal circumstances. So like one of, one of the conversations I have with people is they say, I'm going to build a residential portfolio for X, Y, Z reason. And the reason can be just for net wealth. It can be to pass on the kids. But most of the time they say they want to build a passive income. And I'd hate to tell them, you need a lot of residential properties to have a large passive income. And it needs to be done over a long time frame. Like mm. buying five neutrally geared residential properties, rents typically only double every seven to 20 years. So you're waiting that time time frame, whereas commercial just gives you that kind of instant cash flow injected into the portfolio. Um, they've both got pros and cons and different people are going to have different outcomes from it. So buying a, a residential property as a 60-year-old and you don't have any other properties in your portfolio doesn't really make sense because you probably want the passive income now. If you're 20 years old and you've got basically time on your side, residential is the way because you've got higher LVRs and you can leverage a lot more and you're going to get better bang for buck for your money. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I suppose, you know, at the beginning you want to be able to leverage as much as you can and one of the, I guess, negatives of commercial is you can borrow a lot, lot less. Is it, is it about a 70% LVR that the banks cap you out at? Yeah, that, that, that's the average. Um, there are actually, surprisingly, there's a couple lenders doing 80% at the moment um, and then personal circumstance of a play, but 70% is what I use as an average um, sometimes you can actually get a loan with commercial when you can't get residential. So that's a powerful thing as well. Interesting. Now, I imagine that there's a lot of sort of naysayers in what you do. I mean, despite the fact that commercials become a lot more popular over the last couple of years, I guess part and thanks to your book, um, 
There's a lot of kind of negativity, I imagine, around commercial where people are kind of a little bit afraid of it because they talk about, well, it's riskier and, you know, there's more periods of vacancy. What, what are the sort of the, the trotted out objections that you get on a daily basis? Yeah, so, so that's the first one is high periods of vacancy. It's too risky. If you lose your tenant, it's going to be long periods of vacancy. But the same people, I had this last week, a client was telling me, Commercial's too risky. You're going to have a high period of vacancy. And he just bought out a $2 million house in Cromer in the northern beaches of Sydney. Wow. And it was on a 2.5% yield. Right. So, <laughs> me buying something on a 7% net yield, which is effectively like a 12% gross residential yield, I can have a lot more vacancy than him and we'd be in the same financial cash flow position. So, there's that. Um, and then it just depends on what you buy. There's actually really low risk commercials, like industrial rates at the moment. They're down at 1.2 to 2% basically in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. So that's quite low. So if you lose your tenant, you're only seeing three to four months kind of vacancy. Um, the main thing is just don't go out and buy a bad one. So the, the risk with that part of commercial is if you don't know what you're doing and you go and buy I don't know, a fabrication workshop in a mining town and the mine closes, of course, you're going to have a huge period of vacancy. But you can buy the low-risk ones. You can buy ones on 10-year leases, ones with lots of foot traffic, low vacancy rates. So you can you can focus on low-risk commercial. It's just it's out of people's realm just because they don't understand it. Yeah. So, I mean, um, sorry, Steve. I was going to say the, the other one I always get is commercial properties don't grow. So they'll say, oh, I don't buy anything. They've only got cash flow play only. If you can find me a commercial that hasn't doubled in price in the last 10 years, please send it to me because I'll, I'll buy it. They, they, they also grow just as much and they, they kind of have to because you're not going to end up with a $2 million house sitting next to a $500,000 warehouse. The people are going to look next door and go, oh, okay, maybe I should buy that. It's actually got more cash flow. Mm. What, what, where do you think that pervasive notion comes from that, that commercial is just uh, a yield play and, and not a capital growth vehicle one one of them's one of them's retail so that brings a fear they always refer to that one shop that they saw that's been vacant for years Um, but that's typically they're either just advertising too high rent because if you reduced your rent by 50 percent, you'd get someone in quite quick or it's in a bad area Um, and then the other one is people have just they go out and they chase the numbers a little bit too much which i know sounds a bit weird but they'll they'll go out and they'll buy a really high yielding say industrial asset in a regional town or like a, like a Townsville or something like that. And then they're shocked when it has two years vacancy, mm. but they, they just haven't, they haven't run the numbers. People with residential will go on like a website and go, Oh, the vacancy rate of the area is this. Okay. It's in demand. I'll, I'll buy that. Whereas commercial, you actually have to do the legwork. You have to go through, talk to property managers on the ground, go on core logic, look at how long sales campaigns went for similar properties and things like that. So a lot more work involved, but if you do it, you can buy a low risk one. And by that token, would you say that commercial much more requires that you utilise a buyer's agent like yourself than residential would because of the complexity involved? Uh, yeah, so I always say that, but I also never used a buyer's agent. So you, you can do it yourself, <laughs> but just make sure you educate yourself. I'm never going to tell someone you have to use someone else because no one cares about your wealth as much as you do. So educate yourself as much as possible if you don't have the time or you don't have the skill set, yes, 100% use a buyer's agent. Mm. I don't think you're a great case study as not having used one because you're the sort of person that could sort of 
pop out a mathematics PhD this afternoon. Um, <laughs> but yes, I guess if you are uh, motivated and, and gifted, then there's something that you could do um, yourself. I, I want to sort of tap into the traditional investor mindset that basically says, you know, sort of like more is better and people's goal is to just get as many properties as they can as a strategy. But there's people like yourself, um, you know, experienced investors who have kind of removed themselves from the need to work, but they they focus on different metrics. There's less of a vanity metric of I own 50 properties and, and more of a this is what my passive income is. Uh, I, I want it to be. Is, is that a fair analysis of, of, of where you see that kind of lifestyle investing needing to be? Yeah, m- most younger people I'm finding are more, more worried about their cash flow and their passive income than their net wealth because that's just a bit on paper that you kind of boast people about. The, the common one I conversation I have is people come to me for a commercial and they'll say, Steve, I want a, a $200,000 passive income. And then I'll always follow that up with, okay, what are you going to do after you have the $200,000 passive income? And then that normally sparks the reason why they want the $200,000. Most of the time it's I want to step work, step away from work and work part-time or work on a passion project or travel or whatever it may be. And you'll break it down. Most of the time you actually don't need a $200,000 passive income. So you can turn that 10-year plan into a five-year plan quite easily with commercial because generally every every million dollars you spend on commercial, you can, you can generally get about $50,000 passive income. Mm, so if you need a if you need a fifty to a hundred thousand dollar passive income and you've got a bit of equity in a property, you can get there quite quickly. So it's for me, passive income lets you live now, whereas obviously building net capital wealth in like a property uh, residential property, that's for future wealth. That'll give you a lot more options down the track because you can sell, you can re- re- refinance and do those types of things. But if you're looking for not instant, I'd never, it's never going to be instant. If you're looking for a shorter term gratification where you feel wealthy, um, commercial is a way to go. Um, one, one of the quotes I saw on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, which I really liked was there's two ways to get rich. One is to make more money and two is to lower your expectations. Hey, right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and I mean, that's something that we've talked about on Geared for Growth a, a fair bit is that, you know, people tend to get a pay rise and they just ratchet up their life expectations. I, I always sort of come back to the bottle of Shiraz. You know, when I was a student, it well, it wasn't even Shiraz. It would be port and coke mixture that would sort of rot your teeth. And then you get into the $12 bottles and then you start into the 17 Then you feel a bit fancy and you start paying 23 and $30. Um, so, yeah. so your expectations just kind of seem to they, – they just – go in tandem with your, you know, your career and your salary going up. So that, that that's an interesting way to look at wealth is to consider that galloping away of your expenditure as well, right? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Yeah, exactly right. So you, you're... Your top advice so far is to not buy a bad one, right? Now, I'm being a little bit silly with that, but I think that's really, really 
critical with commercial property. Now, your example of buying, say, a fabrication place that's dependent on a mine is is a is a, obviously an obtuse, obvious one. But what are some of the common ideas that people come to you as this would be a good commercial investment that you actually see as as a bit misleading? The the residential buyers always come and they always want to do some form of crazy value add because they're kind of used to with residential. Oh, I can put new carpet and paint this and renovate this and make some internet that way. The best commercials for me are the most boring ones, the ones that just tick all the fundamental boxes. So if you go and you buy a warehouse and there's no vacancies in that whole complex and the adjoining complex and the ones that have been vacant over the last five years got filled within two months, there's nothing special about that. There's, there's not much you can do besides renting, uh, increasing the rent on that. That is a complete set and forget. That for me is a good commercial because you'll never have to worry about it again. So you don't really care if it's any particular industry because you're looking at the numbers, but do people come to you saying, I want to buy you know, a, a, a bakery store or a, or a news agent or a, or a medical centre? Medical center is probably the one 90% of people come to me. They say, oh, I want a nice low risk one like a medical center. And then coincidentally, it's always in the city that they live as well. They always say, oh, it's got to be in Melbourne, for instance. And I go, well, why, why Melbourne? I can get you twice as yield elsewhere. And then funnily enough, somewhere like Brisbane, medical centers are actually lower risk businesses because per capita, there's actually less of them. So there's actually less competition. So you should have them longer term. Um, I, I generally at the moment just focus on the, what I consider the low risk. So that's industrial because they're, they're really versatile spaces. They can be a car mechanic, a wholesaler, a distributor, fabricator, storage, for instance. Yep. So they're really versatile kind of low risk asset. Because um, of COVID and to be honest, even prior to COVID, I used to focus on what I call essential retail. So that's just like the suburban strips. So like the ones with the, the cafes, the bakeries, the medical centers, the hair salons, the barber shops, the, those types of ones where people need to physically go there to have that face-to-face contact. Yep. Um, I've never been big on buying like CBDs and things like that because for me, you can always be outpriced to the market because they can just build a new one, much like offices. I, I've never bought an office unless it's really kind of got an X factor about it because they can knock down next door and build a 20-story office building and then all of a sudden you've got a huge oversupply, mm. whereas something like industrial, you can't do that. Yeah, and I suppose office, if they're building new stuff, then what's existing there is going to have that slightly dated fit out as well, whereas, you know, a tilt-up concrete slab can only be a certain amount of pretty, and the tenants don't care it, anyway, right? Uh, it, it's more to do with you get a land component with, with industrial space. So when you're right. buying a warehouse, you have a physical land component. You actually can't build more. Like it's, I'm a structural engineer by trade. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to build a 20-story warehouse. Like it's not going to have a good load capacity. So you're limited by the physical space there. And it's generally not economic to buy out 200 residential properties just to build a one-story warehouse. Mm. So it gives you that way. But building office space is just, I can tell you exactly, it's 2.5 kilopascals is, is the floor space loading that you need. So it's quite easy to build to. Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing because that I guess that adds to the to the scarcity of the asset by virtue of there's a limit with structural load on how it's actually built. It has to be a, a big, wide, flat, open span sort of thing because of the, the nature of what's being done in that, that dwelling as well. I'm interested... Yeah, but that, that's, that's exactly the same as residential though. People just kind of put it in a different basket. Like people like 
freestanding houses because you have a land component yes. and you can't be priced out. Whereas a lot of people don't like high density apartments because you only own a little bit of sky space. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And the loan to value ratio is something that residential investors understand very well, and it makes sense that it that it carries over. When it comes to the the commercial investors that you see as having the most success, is there anything that you see them having in common? To be honest, the the ones that got started early. The, the ones that any anyone who bought commercial investing as opposed to residential five, 10, 15 years ago is doing really, really well at the moment. The, the market's really hot. Five, five years ago, you could buy eight to 12% net yielding commercial properties. Those now, a lot of the ones in like Sydney, Melbourne have dropped to three, 4% net. So they've just, they've got three times the passive income. The property's grown three times as much. Um, they're, they're all doing very, very well. Mm, that's that's yeah that's massive as a huge change and that begs the question how much of that is driven by the circumstances that we're in now and and how cognizant do we have to be of the whole COVID effect with things so obviously we've seen you know medical centers become more um more in demand because they're seen as recession proof they can't shut their doors obviously people are a bit afraid of retail the distribution centers with online shopping and that sort of stuff i assume are are going um, pretty robustly you mentioned the strength of of industrial what what do we need to know about you know the future of the workforce and consumer behavior that's going to inform commercial property investing yeah so that that's going to be done on a case-by-case basis so certain businesses you obviously need to stick well away from because long term they're not going to be there Um, one of the common ones obviously petrol stations that's a huge unknown of how that's going to look in 15 years time when electric cars are driving around everywhere so that's one. Even the, the common news agent, as you mentioned before, they're a little bit on the way out because everything's going distributed kind of online now. Mm. Um, you've got to look at what, there's two, two parts to look at. When you're buying a commercial property with a tenant, you look at the tenant and you firstly say, will there be there long term? Um, and then you also risk mitigate by saying, okay, if they're not there long term, how versatile is this space? And that, that's why I mentioned before with warehouses, they're just three concrete tilt up panels and a roller door. It can actually be anything. Whereas buying like a, a freestanding medical property that's a residential house, that can't be too much. It can basically be another medical center or a yeah. vet clinic. So if you lose that tenant, you're probably going to lose out more on your capital growth there as well. So it's just, it's very hard to answer that question because every commercial is different. A commercial property could be a, a car wash, for instance. So that's going to be analyzed completely different to an office space. Yes. Yeah. And that's a fair point. And I guess... It's a bit crystal ball with the working from home stuff, whether that's a fad or whether that's something to stay here as well. But I guess that there, there, there would have to be some some basic truisms to we're always going to need widgets posted to us. So industrial is kind of a, a safer asset than, say, bricks and mortar retail as a general thing, though. Yeah, well, industrial people just say oh, that it's only distribution. They forget that that's where everything happens. Like fabrication happens. Everything in your house, your office, your life has at some point gone through a warehouse. Yeah, it's it, it's impossible for it to not. So it's an essential part of life, and that's when people say, "Oh, commercial can come and go, yada yada." You need residential. It's where people sleep. People always need a house. People always need warehouses. That's what. Do you, where do you think the supplies came from that built their house that they live in? Mm, that's a good point. I, I did an inspection on a 
commercial premises that did all of the balcony handrails for Meriton um, unit developments, right? And that's just oh, a cool. big, yeah. that's a big warehouse, right? Those those things have got to be built somewhere. So, yes, I think when you're you're outside of the the industry, then um, it, it just kind of things warehouses are just because of you know stuff you buy on eBay or Amazon, right? Yeah, and then they'll take their car to a car mechanic that's operating out of a warehouse and then they, their kitchen in their, their house will be fabricated in one. There's some people use warehouses as storage for their belongings. Like there's, they, They've got a lot of uses. Every aspect of your life, the item you're touching, would have been through a warehouse at some point. Mm, that's interesting. I want to ask you about that the question that we sort of posed and you were talking about say a million dollars worth of commercial uh property investment is 50k of of passive income was that that correct roughly roughly that sort of figure yeah generally so if you say buy like a 70 um sorry a seven percent net yielding commercial that's seventy thousand dollars income that you could generate from it yep um the tenant pays the outgoing so there's no real outgoing so the only outgoing you're going to have is the debt on the property. Yep. So if you have, say, a 70% loan at a 2% interest rate kind of thing, you're looking at about $50,000 after you take that $20,000 interest off. Yep. And so if someone was wanting to achieve that as a starting point and, and maybe they can multiply it by two or four or whatever to get to their figure, if they were wanting to get to that 50K um, mark, would you recommend them going into one commercial investment property or splitting that into into two uh, properties? Is, is is there a value in that from a diversification point of view? It, it depends what price point they come to me at. If they come at me with, say, $5 million, that, that's a lot harder discussion to have. But uh, just, just generally, we'll talk maybe difference between um, a $700,000 one and a $1.5 million one. Sure, yep. A uh, $700,000 one is going to be generally, so we'll stick with industrial. It's going to be uh, part of a body corporate. It's just going to have a, a smaller tenant. You're not going to get like a Bunnings, for instance. It's going to be quite a small little tenant, like a, a Joe's Electrical Supplies or whatever it may be. So small company. That brings risk because they're obviously a more volatile company. They're either going to grow and outgrow the space and move on or they're going to close up shop because they don't make business. So those lower priced ones, you'll generally go through a tenant more often. Mm-hmm. So every kind of five to 10 years, you'll go through a new tenant. However, the smaller ones have a slightly lower vacancy rate than the larger ones. So you'll fill it in say three months because there's a lot more sole traders and small businesses ready to jump on the space. Yep. Um, the benefit of that strategy is you get to buy two. So if you lose one of the tenants, you're still getting 50% of the rent come in. Uh, also lets you diversify the location so they can be in completely different states of Australia also lets you diversify the asset class as well. One could be retail and one could be industrial. So you can mm. get in two different sectors. So there's a the benefit there. Um, counter to that is the $1.5 million one. That will be a larger tenant. So there'll be a business of 20, 30 people, a bit more established. They've probably rented the space with some space to kind of grow the business. So they've got 30, 40% extra room to grow. They'll probably be there, say, eight to 15 years. So you, you'll get a longer lease out of them. They're not going to sign a two by two like the seven hundred thousand uh, one. Mm. They might say uh, say a five by five year lease. So longer lease, longer tenancies. However, there's less medium and large size businesses looking for space. So when you do lo- lo- lose them, you're probably talking six months to twenty four months to fill it. But then yeah. you're going to have them again for ten to fifteen years. So the net results pretty similar. You're just you're kind of kind of splitting hairs in terms of how long you want to hold the asset to. 
Um, the other one is you start moving into the realm where you get freestanding. So that's going to give you a few more value add opportunities. You yep. can obviously subdivide, build onto it, things like that. Um, but when it comes down to it, Mike, it's it's always going to be case by case. Two really good small ones is outweighs a medium mediocre large one, and a really really good say multi tenancy high end one is going to outweigh two small ones. So it, it's just case by case. Just, the main thing is you just tick the fundamentals when you are buying. Yeah, beautiful. And I guess there's pros and cons for for both. But you've you've walked us through those uh, adequately and given us a great insight into the basics of, of how to invest in commercial. We could probably go through another six or seven episodes here, Steve. But uh, we're out of time today. But thank you very much for for getting up early your time to to be with us and sharing your wisdom today. No worries. Thanks for that, Mike. Cheers. <laughs>